Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 97. It was recorded in St. Petersburg, Florida. Maybe the second best St. Petersburg in the world. I don't know. I haven't been to Russia. Certainly warmer this time of year. And when you're driving to St. Petersburg and you're taking some of the state roads, in fact, most of the state roads, you come across a lot of billboards. And the reoccurring theme, themes really, I've noticed here are body enhancement, (laughs) lawyers, especially accident lawyers, and Jesus. So you're constantly inundated with those three messages when you're driving here in Florida. Now, St. Pete actually, I think, is pretty cool. It's where the stadium is here, and there's lots of like breweries and coffee shops, record shops. Uh, tattoo studios, good places to eat. I went to the Hawker, Hawkers, right? Yeah, Hawkers, which has um, like Asian street food. So they had roti chanai and uh, Korean wings. They had tiger beers. Oh, man. So that was actually pretty sweet. I got a haircut from Madison at Billy's Corner Barbershop. So shout out to Madison, Madison taught herself how to cut hair by watching YouTube videos. And I'm always impressed by people who learn a skill themselves and kind of find a way out of the rat race and into something a little less traditional. So uh, thanks for the cut, Madison, and shout out to you. So yeah, St. Pete, a little bit different from some of the areas, uh, some of the other areas around Tampa. Ebor is also pretty cool. I can't remember if I talked about that last episode, but it's kind of like a throwback, hasn't changed all that much in terms of what it looks like. Um, a lot of cigar places there. And if you listen to the last episode, it's sort of a throwback to that uh, gangster era of, of Tampa Bay. My guest today is really talented and really cool. Her name is Eve Edelheit. She is a freelance photojournalist. So she was working for the Tampa Times for a while but she's also done work for the New York Times, The Intercept. Right before she, we recorded, she was talking about having an assignment due for The Washington Post. So yeah, big names, and she's quite talented. She's covered a lot of really cool stuff around, uh, around Tampa. Some of it, and we'll get into this, but some of it heartbreaking, like the, the hurricanes. Um, I remember seeing work from Hurricane Irma, I believe. But also she just had a feature for ESPN, And uh, we talk about all of that stuff. If you look at the show notes for this episode, you will find links to her social media. And through that, you can find all of her work and her stories. There's also a link for her website. So make sure that you check that out. Again, that is Eve Edelheit. And make sure you check her out. You can support the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast by donating on Patreon. You'll find a link in the show notes for the Patreon account as well. That's www.patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. That is a subscription-based service where you can give 50 cents, $1, $5, 5 million space bucks a month if you want. And that will go to keeping these episodes coming, the stories, the information, the education, you know, all the stuff that you're always listening to. 
I would greatly appreciate it, especially now that I'm sort of, I guess, technically homeless and unemployed and without health insurance. I'm trying very hard not to get injured or sick. So um, right now I'm working on a trip, a potential trip through California. I've actually booked up a number of pretty interesting guests in Southern California. So hopefully that's on the horizon. Otherwise, after this, I will be, well, where am I now? I'm in Virginia, but after Virginia, I'm going to head back to New York and we'll see if I get a few episodes done there. But for now, enjoy this episode from St. Petersburg, Florida with Eve Edelheit. At what point in your life, Eve, were you becoming interested in photography? I really struggled growing up. I was kind of in that first wave of kids in the 90s who were diagnosed with ADD. Mm. And it really plagued me in terms of not feeling intelligent, not feeling smart. Um, and I really struggled growing up with test taking and not feeling like I could fit into a I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't feel like it could fit into a box. Mm. And I took a photography class and took another photography class. And my high school teacher said, did you ever think about really doing this as a career? And I hadn't until he said that. And he really uh, helped put me on a path, Mr. Fewer. Uh, shout, to, out to Mr. Fewer. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to Mr. Fewer. Shout out to Mr. Fewer. Because he said, "Did you have you heard of the University of Missouri, Columbia? And... Uh, that's where I ended up going to the journalism school there. And it kind of set me on that path. So I, I really fell in love with photography, I think, because it, it gave me access to meet people. It gave me an mm. excuse to ask questions and be curious and nosy. And uh, I always loved doing art, but my hands never did what I wanted them to do. So oh, man, I totally understand that, though. <laughs> yeah. So it was a way to have uh, some creative expression without relying on my hands to paint crappy photos. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, like I, I'm not a photographer, but I can I can remember taking film and photography classes in high school. Shout out Mr. Needles. Um, and feeling like, oh, this is a place where I kind of fit in and belong. Uh, so yeah, I identify with that a bit. And... I think it took me a really long time to realize that when it comes to photography, photojournalism, being a photographer, that my ADD was actually really helpful because now I can focus on a situation, but I can also get distracted in that moment and mm. uh, notice other things that are happening around me that maybe other photographers aren't noticing. I, I, I think like a press conference is a great example of that where I'm not just like focused on the person that's talking, but focused on the other things that are happening around that can add to that story. It's not just about someone talking at a podium. Well, that's powerful, huh? That's like, yeah. um, I guess, I don't know if people would, would say disability, right, ADD, yeah. but like, a, a, you know, but to turn that into something that's a tool, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it took me a lot of time and a lot of therapy to get it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, join the club, huh? Yeah. Um, okay, so... You did not grow up in Florida then? No, I grew up, I was born in Chicago oh. and I grew up in Minneapolis. 
Whoa. Okay. So it's interesting. I don't know if you had this uh, maybe same experience, but um, you know, I'm from New York, and I've spent most of my adult life in New York City. And I think, hopefully, this is fair to say that a lot of New Yorkers don't have like the most favorable view of Florida. Um, I mean, is that true? Did you notice like maybe distinct cultural differences between like Chicago and and Florida? Oh, I mean, yeah, I was a uh, proud Yankee, uh. and I still am. But I'm, I think, I'm more of a proud Floridian now than I am a proud Yankee huh. because I can't do winter anymore. Yeah, but definitely, when I go visit my friends in New York, they give me shit about living in Florida and Florida yeah, right. man and. I just tell them it's a better place to be a journalist than it is New York because weirder shit is happening here than it is in New York. But oh. there is definitely, you know, I never thought I would live south of the Mason-Dixon line. And then I went to school at the University of Missouri. And then I lived in Dallas for six months. And now I, I've Whoa. lived in Florida for um, almost seven years. So, yeah, it's definitely, I never thought I would live in the south. But now I can't imagine living anywhere else. Yeah, you know, I get that, I think. There's... um. I'm not a hot weather guy, but now after having spent almost like seven months in hot weather, like the New York winter for the two weeks I was back in New York was brutal. But there's also like, I don't know. I don't know if it's cheesy to say like Southern hospitality, but there's a friendliness down here that is definitely not felt in New York. (laughs) I I totally am. Like even like going to get a coffee or like uh, right before this, I like got a haircut and then I went to where it was like Green Bench Brewery. And like, people are so nice. I'm like, all right, I kind of, I can vibe with this. Like, yeah, like get off the sidewalk, you're moving too slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's me most of the time, right? Yeah. Like that New York thing is ingrained in me and like, hey, move faster. Like stick to the, stick to the right. Why are you not sticking to the right? Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so New Yorkers, please don't, please don't judge Florida so harshly. When you say photojournalism, um, does that mean that you are doing photography for stories and you're also doing the written word? Like, how would you sort of categorize the profession? I think there's a few different ways to look at it. I, as a photo, I, I would break that word down to be photography journalists. So just the mm. way reporters tell stories with their words, I use photos to tell stories. And then, you know, sometimes it's one image that tells a story in itself. And then sometimes it's a series of image that series of images that becomes a visual narrative. Mm. And that can be a short period of time. That can be a long period of time. Uh, as a photojournalist, we write our own captions under, which is really important. And um, we give a succinct uh, version of what the story is. And sometimes we're sent out without reporters too. And so it's just a standalone photo. And so they do yeah. rely on us. And uh, But I do write uh, my own stories too at times. Other times I've worked with reporters, but it's, it's kind of both ways for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So for, I'll give a specific, maybe, um, I've got some notes here. If you did the ESPN feature on, hopefully I'm saying his name right. Ken Ruxin, who's yeah. a motocross guy. Yeah. So did they say like, Hey, we're doing this feature on this guy. We need some, some great photos. Like here's sort of what we're thinking. Go out and do it. Basically. Yeah. Mm. Um, I love working with the photo editors at ESPN and they are really, uh, great and supportive. And they said, just, you know, go see what it's like to be with Ken Roxon for the day and see what it's like when he's coming back, um, to competing. He had several surgeries on both Mm. of his 
arms and hands and elbows and um, elbow. And so it was really cool. It was a really interesting day. And I got to work um, with a great reporter, Allie, who's fantastic and covers a lot of motocross events. So it was really great to be with someone who was an expert in it. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, I try and become as much of an expert as I can in a short period of time of each thing I'm covering, but it's definitely nice to have people around you. You can work with and bounce ideas off of. Okay. Before I, I, I have these notes on like a lot of specific stories that are really okay. interesting, but you very nonchalantly are talking about ESPN. Earlier you mentioned to me like very humbly and normally like, Oh yeah, I've got this piece too for the Washington post. I think for people who are trying to break into, uh, could be photography, could be journalism, could be media. Like those are sort of the, like, that's the mountaintop. Those are sort of the pinnacle of maybe success. Um, what, like, what did it take for you either in terms of work ethic or like skill set to be able to work with like these top names in, in journalism? Uh, thank you. Um, I, I still geek out and freak out when I get assignments like that. And I think for me, there, there is no mountaintop. Like Mm. it's something I always want to keep striving for. And for me, I think, sorry, can we edit some of that? I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I'll say this in case we don't. I am constantly fumbling. I'm constantly making a <laughs> fool of myself. So okay. I will likely sound so much worse than you. So okay. Sounds good. don't worry about it. Um, and, and people uh, generally are quite kind in the okay. comments and okay, things like that. Good. So, the voyagers. Um, I would say that for me, even more so than the, the publications and, and knowing who's going to see my photos. I just love getting to work with the different editors. Mm. And I've really spent time building those relationships over the last several years. And that trust between an editor and photographer is really important. And just them giving you feedback and you going out and taking that uh, critique to the next assignment or the direction they give you for that assignment. And Jim Serber on the ESPN assignment was just great with that and really just was like, go have fun with it. Be creative. I can't wait to see what you bring back. And wow, you're lucky. Have, yeah. And I've wanted to work for them for a really long time. And, you know, I think my, my biggest career goal when I started out was I wanted my dad to see that I had a photo in the New York times. Mm. He had, uh, when he lived in the States, he lives in Rio de Janeiro now. Oh, cool. He had a daily subscription to the New York times. And oh. I remember he called me and he, my first story that was in there was like a really small photos in 2013. And he was on the verge of tears. Mm. And I think every time, you know, my brother gets ESPN, the magazine and he called me and goes, Oh my God, he's got a magazine. That's your name. Yeah, that's it's awesome. like, that's really uh, fun. Um, but to go back to your question, I think I just had a, a real willingness to learn when I, uh, graduated from Mizzou and I started doing internships, I just really put my head down and said, I may not be the most talented photojournalist out there. I may not have the most creative vision, but I'm going to work harder than anyone else mm. does. And I think I've really tried to maintain that. And I've really tried to give my clients a sense of that as well. And, um, 
throughout all my internships and then the seven years at the Tampa Bay Times, I really just tried to learn from as many mentors and many people as possible that would teach me. And I've learned from editors and reporters and other photographers and at workshops. I can't stress enough like how important photo workshops are and to be able to mm. learn from your peers. And I'm, you know, just as surprised <laughs> as you are that, uh, after leaving my job, I was really scared and nervous that things have panned out. And I feel very fortunate and very grateful. But I, I think it's just kind of knowing that you can't rely on talent and creativity to get you far in this business. And you certainly can't be an asshole. You got to be a great person to work with. Mm. But it really is about working hard and um, putting in the time. I mean, I graduated Mizzou in 2011 and it's 2019. So I, I really put in eight years of working at smaller papers and kind of working my way up to a bigger paper, being a staff photographer at a paper for seven years. And then while I was a staffer, slowly building up my freelance client base. So kind of working two jobs at the same time so that when I got ready to do this, I could do it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, it's weird because I've transitioned out of something that was like, I sort of reached as far as you could go within a particular career and I'm starting over. And it, I mean, I could speak for that career, but like I, a lot of people want instant gratification and you kind of have to be sort of like the, I don't know if it's like, like the peon, like the person who's like at the bottom and sort of fight your way to the top over a long uh, amount of time. There's not a lot of instant success. It does happen, but um, it's pretty rare. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My little sister is trying to figure some stuff out with her career and she told me, oh, you're a role model for me and figuring out what you need to do to get to the next step. And I said, yeah, but you're in your early twenties and you need to remember that like, it took me mm. eight to 10 years to figure out this point. And I think a lot of young photographers see older photographers and I did. I got really freaked out as like, how am I supposed to get to that point? And I think it's, you have to really just break it down into small pieces and figure out at the core of everything, it's about learning how to be a photojournalist. And you can do that anywhere. You can do that in the smallest city in America. Yeah. You don't have to travel internationally to learn how to be a photographer and how to tell stories. And I think sometimes doing work in your backyard is some of the most valuable learning experiences mm. you can have. This is more for me, maybe, but um, have you had to deal with naysayers? And when I say that, I even think like some people really mean the best um, and want the best for you, like their version of what's the best for you. Um, but did you have to deal with anyone who was like, uh, it'd be much safer and more secure to have sort of like a standard job and standard trajectory? So many people, so yeah. many people telling me I'd never make it, mm -hmm. that it's not a good career, that it's a dying industry. And I think with any job or any interest you have, if you let the naysayers dictate what your life is going to be, you're not going to get very far. And I kind of use that as fuel to prove them wrong. Mm. I really like to prove people wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> this probably sounds petty, but I would even go as far to say that like spite can be like a pretty good motivator. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. So like at this point, are you... I mean, are you freelance? Mm -hmm. oh. I'm full-time freelance now. So. so, so okay, so I guess maybe then um, sort of the business side of it, are you well-known enough to where like then the post says, hey, we need you, or do you say to the post like, hey, you can use me for this specific feature? Like how does the, how do those connections not work? I think it goes both ways. Uh, for this assignment, the post 
reached out to me, um, but I pitch things and then I get called for assignments too. And I'm constantly trying to meet new editors and I'm going to DC next week and I have set up a bunch of meetings there too. So I think it's just about that constant back and forth. And I think once you do enough assignments for an editor, you can kind of build up that trust to be able to pitch a little bit easier as well. Okay. I, um, I was published with the writing for the very first time and like it was a small thing. It's really exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I was excited. But I'm like, so now I'm writing all the time, like constantly, like you're constantly getting rejected. Um, but at least in terms of like articles, to make it sustainable, like you have to constantly be going. Is that the same way with photojournalism? Like, not one. There's no one giant payout, right? Right. Absolutely. Okay. Like, it's just what's the next job? What's mm-hmm. the next job? And that's exciting and scary all at the same time. And that's definitely a new feeling for me too. As mm. I'm going from a staff job that was a salaried position where. Every day they would call me and be like, okay, here's your assignment for the day. Mm. That's not the same anymore. But it's, I think it just makes you work harder too and send those emails and kind of push. I, I really like to be my own boss. Yeah. And so I think <laughs> I get it, that. it's a good push to uh, make you work a little bit harder, that it's not necessarily always a secure path. Yeah. Okay. There's something I was curious about looking at um, looking at your website and looking at your Instagram. And I, I wrote some of these things down, and I think maybe I'll go a little deeper on some of them. But just to sort of give listeners a little context to my question, um, you have a series called um, Jonathan's Journey where you photographed a child with ulcerative colitis. Uh, we'll get into this too, but you, you have a lot of work on um, endometriosis, there was an article, where is he? There it is. Um, uh, an older gentleman named Ted who had Huntington's disease and he uh, was, I think, opting for like a humane way to die so that he wouldn't be in pain all the time. Um, do you find it difficult in those situations to sort of detach yourself from the work because you're sort of at the same time, I'm assuming, like kind of forming like relationships with these people who are going through uh, either traumatic or painful or difficult events. Like, does does that take a toll on you at all? Absolutely. Um, I think if it doesn't take a toll on you in some way, you're uh, not giving enough of yourself. Mm. But that's just me. Maybe it's different for another photographer. Um, I was working on my most recent project, was which was an investigation into all children's hospital locally with the Tampa Bay Times. And I worked with several families that had either lost children or uh, children that were very sick. And that really took a toll on me dramatically. And it's hard too. It's hard when working on the Jonathan story about see, seeing this family go through a really difficult time. And as a journalist, you can't help them. You can't change their story or seeing Ted go through a really difficult time. And, um, you know, you build up those relationships and it's interesting when Ted died, we were obviously upset and it's, you're upset because you've built that relationship, but you also have to keep telling that story. And so there's definitely a balance of um, how much do you emotionally give yourself over Mm. to a story. But you have to, I always like to think that when I'm shooting, my camera kind of creates this emotional wall 
that um, I'm not crying when I'm shooting. I'm really focused. And uh, yeah, I, I think it can be really hard at times. Um, but I put up that wall until I get home. And this is this is the place where I can have those feelings. But when I'm out there, I'm trying to do the, the people that I'm photographing justice and telling their story. Yeah. And if I'm all wrapped up in my emotions, I can't do my job. And I think it's important to have that boundary too, so that you can remain objective in the moment and uh, do your job. In Ted's case, did he, um, I don't know if, if the proper term is euthanized, like did he go overseas to... So the story ends that he actually passed away before he was able to okay. have the right to die. Okay. And, and that's really what the story was, was sort of following his journey to mm-hmm. be able to get access to that? Exactly. And okay. I think in the written story by Lane to Gregory, she also did a great job exploring how there's this really interesting statistic about how many people will actually go get the medication um, to end their own lives and then how many people go through with it. And that kind of in-between space of the choices we make Hmm. about how it's much easier to go get the medication versus taking the medication and that in-between space of the the difficult choices. Yeah. Yeah. For for these sorts of instances, and, and I promise we'll like we'll focus on some positive no, stuff. No. Um, I, I recently gave a presentation at the local arts center, and I realized, whoa, my work is really <laughs> depressing. <It's> dark man. <laughs> um, I do food? I do other stuff. Too, <laughs> yeah, I know. Really, and actually, the really, food looks awesome. Thanks. It was really <laughs> I do some depressing shit. Um, well, yeah, and maybe I don't. It, it won't make it into here, but we were sort of almost talking about how sometimes the content we do sort of empowers people who identify with that. Um, and that's sort of where I was going with the next question in that, like, when you do a situation like this, um, these are like uh, someone with um, an ailment, you know, it's not the most flattering version of themselves. I think you even wrote something about sort of like the... Um, I don't think you said embarrassment, but I'm paraphrasing sort of like the embarrassment of, of something like endometriosis and like sort of like, you know, putting your vulnerable self out there. Like, is is there a process that you have to go through to sort of like win the subject's trust that like you're not going to, uh, you know, portray them in an embarrassing or negative light? Like, is there a relationship building process? Absolutely. And I think that's a really important part. And I, I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily call it earning or winning. I think I, it's all about um, giving a part of yourself to and so that they'll they'll trust you. It's definitely a building relationship. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think like, well, why would I let someone into my life to photograph mm. that unless I did trust them and have their, you know, uh, best interest in terms of here's the story I'm going to tell here's what we're going to do. And, um, you know, sometimes it is hard because the story changes and you have to adapt. And there's also that boundary. I'm not your friend. I'm a journalist, but Mm. I'm here to tell your story. Um, and I need you to trust me with that story because I always say that it's an incredible honor that people let me into their lives to tell their stories. And, and I take that honor very seriously and that trust very seriously. Yeah. The, the subjects that you've covered, um, I forget your hashtag too, but your, your subjects with endometriosis, the, the Tampa Times put you on assignment for that or was that something that you were like, I want to cover this? So I 
had my second endometriosis surgery and the recovery was really bad. And what was supposed to be a three week recovery ended up being an eight week recovery because, and it was supposed to be one surgery and ended up being three surgeries. So when I was on bed rest, um, cause I was re- having a really difficult time walking, I was going through a really bad depression and I started to join all of these support groups online for women with endo. And I had no idea how many women were out there feeling, mm so alone and in really difficult situations financially because of the disease and dealing with several doctors that didn't believe them. And I had been really, really private about my own illness because as a female photographer, it's hard enough being female, Mm. let alone to have a feminine disease. And I decided then that I had a vehicle working at the Tampa Bay Times to amplify these voices. And so I pitched the story and uh, they were great and ran with it and gave me time to work on it. And I shot it on an old Hasselblad film camera uh, because I really wanted to slow down and spend time with the portraits. And um, yeah, and it, it really was an honor. And I think it really did require someone who had the disease, who could relate, um, to build those relationships. Sometimes I've heard from editors that you got to know, you got to tell what you know. And mm. sometimes you're the best person to tell that you are the expert. Um, and I also challenged myself that if I could reveal my truth and share my story, then maybe it would empower other women to share their stories. Um, because it was definitely, I messaged a lot of people and there were definitely a lot of people that weren't interested. Um, But I really took it seriously, the women that were, and I drove all over the state of Florida from Tallahassee to Miami to, to do those portraits. So, so your subjects knew that you were in a similar situation. Yeah. Wow. Is there, um, just because my own, I guess, ignorance is like, is there an eventual like cure and solution to the problem? So there's not a cure right now and it affects one in 10 women and it's tough because there's a lot of misinformation out there about the disease. And so there's a lot of doctors who can only perform different surgeries and some doctors don't take health insurance who can perform those surgeries. So yeah, I feel really lucky that I have a great doctor who believes in my pain Mm -hmm. and, um, when I say like it's back, she knows it's back and yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely been a tough journey with it, but it's kind of, everyone has their shit, right? And mm. this is mine and you know, we all have things to deal with. So yeah. Yeah. And I like, I, you know, um, prior to being, I guess it really started with like my, my career that I had, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I was like forced to be in front of people and with this too, you know. I, I've got listeners from, um, my data goes as high as 50 countries and like there's, wow. there's more than that. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's weird to sort of put yourself and your insecurities and your, your stuff, your shit out there right into the world. So yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a commendable yeah. thing and a really brave thing to, to do. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, when you have a secret for so long, you don't think anyone will care just because it's, it's been your own secret. And as journalists, I think often we put other stories, other people's stories before our own. Mm. And I I think that's a part of the job is like you're like when I'm working on a project, that person's life is my schedule. I don't have a personal schedule anymore. And Mm. so I think for a really long time, it just been ingrained in me that my story wasn't important. And so 
I remember the story published and I was on a plane with my husband and I remember turning my phone on and it just wouldn't stop like dinging and with all these notifications and I started crying and I looked at him and said, I just thought no one would care. Mm. And he was like, well, of course people would care. But I, I was just shocked at the response. You know what's funny? That's something that doing this has really taught me because I'm, um, for myself personally, like I'm able to draw inspiration um, from so many different situations. Like, so even earlier today, you know, I recorded in Tampa, then I came here and I was like, okay, I've got a few hours to kill before I'm going to meet with Eve. Like, what can I do? So I went to the brewery, I got food, and I'm like, I haven't had a haircut in a while. So I went to, uh, I think it's called Billy's Corner Shop or Billy's Corner Barbershop. And um, there was a woman there who cut my hair named Madison. And like, she had a story. And we're talking and she's telling me that like, yeah, I didn't want the traditional path through life, didn't know what to do. So like I watched YouTube videos on how to cut hair and I learned how to cut hair. And now here wow. I am cutting hair. Yeah. And I'm That's like, crazy. you know, probably if I'm being honest, like most people wouldn't give a ton of respect to, to a barber, right? But they would think of something like, oh, you've got an MBA. Wow, like that's that's so uh, prestigious. But to me, it's like, no, like, uh, fuck that. Like, this this is a woman who like wanted something for herself, taught herself something. And to me, that's even doing this is super inspiring because I have down days, especially now being home where people are like, well, when are you going to get back into normal life? And I'm like, I don't want to. And so like, it's weird where you can draw inspiration from. So even somebody without endometriosis can look at your story and be like, hey, I've got my own shit that I'm dealing with while trying to hold down a career or raise kids or whatever it is that they're doing. And it's like, all right, cool. You powered through it. So that gives me the strength to power through well, it. Thank you. I really yeah. appreciate that. And that's, um, I opened up the story where I was trying to, I was on assignment at Everbank Field in Jacksonville shooting a football game. And my cramps were so bad, I almost passed out. And then I went and shot the game because I just wanted to prove that I was like any other photographer, regardless of my sex on the field. And, um, you know, I remember last February... I was in so much pain in my left hip because all of the scar tissue had grown back since the second surgery because I just had my third endosurgery in March or in April. And I was covering the Gasparilla race that goes through Tampa and I could not walk. I was in so much pain and I started to bawl because I was just like, oh my God, this disease is going to be the end of me. And right now I'm training to run the race. And so, Whoa. yeah, I'm pretty excited to post that Instagram. Post yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> give me all those likes for overcoming yeah. shit. Oh, um, that's awesome. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, and it could always be worse. Like, I think that's an important perspective to have that. I, I feel really lucky that I do have health care um, because of my husband's job. And I constantly think about all the women that don't have access mm. to healthcare. And that's what makes me want to keep working on this project and, and getting those voices out there is women still don't have adequate uh, healthcare access. And, and so, yeah, I just always try and have the perspective of being grateful that it's gone right now, that it could come back and you just kind of got to roll with the punches. So I'm going to ask something Tampa specific. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Uh, when I was looking around for like people that I could talk to here for the podcast, um, someone kept suggesting to me, go see Die for the Cross. 
and like, ah, I don't know. Um, I heard a little bit about it, but then I saw that you had some photos from it. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what it is? So Epiphany um, is a big Greek Orthodox holiday, and all these young men from the Greek Orthodox community in Tarpon Springs dive for this cross in like 60-degree water, mm. and uh, whoever gets the cross is blessed for the next year. And it's a huge service, and uh, it's one of the biggest Epiphany celebrations in the country, if not the world. Ah. So it's really interesting, yeah. All right, so when I was driving with, um, shout out to Cousin John Bauer, with uh, my cousin John, he was talking about it, and he was saying just that, that you're supposed to be blessed for the next year, but that in actuality, like oh, generally you, the winners, the good shit. Yeah. Yeah. Get, generally like, the winners have like, and, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why that you would want to die, but I, I, I think that they're hopefully making a turn for that. Uh, but yeah, they've not had great luck in the past. It's like the Drake curse or something. Like people say like whenever he like reps a sports team, that team like does terrible. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. That, so that takes place once a year, I guess? Yeah, and it's really fun to shoot because it's like you have 30 seconds and then, like, you better get that shot. Like, it's really hard no, because, like, quick. yeah, like, they dive in and you're like, oh, my God, I hope I'm focused in the right spot. And then you just motor drive the hell out of it and <gasps> just try and make sure your shit's in focus. And Yeah. Pray to the photo gods. Okay, so that, I mean, that is, I guess, something pretty unique to hear. I don't know if oh, they do yeah. that. Yeah, I don't. you really can't photograph that. A lot of places. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I had another question. Okay. Sure. About a specific assignment. You had uh, shot, I guess, maybe recently about people sort of petitioning and campaigning for Amendment 4. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that specific legislation would have been. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I actually just shot something for the ACLU about it this oh, past cool. Tuesday. So Amendment 4 uh, gives the voting rights back to most people that had a felony on their record. Oh, yeah, okay. So uh, there's some extreme cir- circumstances where you don't get that right back, but people with minor felonies. Um, and it was great because uh, to be there on Tuesday where people were able to register to vote again, there were a lot of people getting really emotional and crying, and it was a really special time. That Because uh, I was away, but that, that passed here, right? Mm-hmm. Whoa. Okay. Oh, it, with like a really high percentage too, Whoa. so. And... Like I, didn't, I never even realized too, because that's always been something that, you know, I, I, I've always been sort of part of, pretty like liberal, mm-hmm. somewhat subversive subcultures, and like yeah, like um, voting rights for for ex ex felons, if you want to say, mm-hmm. or, or or whomever, like has always been a topic, and I never even realized. I guess I I would have thought that that was a federal issue, um, but that's a state's issue. Yeah, absolutely, and I. It was really interesting on both assignments just to meet the people that it impacted. And I shot something, uh, now I feel like I'm just shouting out shit, but I had an assignment. Just do the, it. <laughs> I had an assignment for the Wall Street Journal where I also did a portrait of a man who whose daughter had been um, in a really bad car accident. And so he was growing pot for her uh-huh. uh, for medical reasons because she was on all these opioids and they were trying to get her off of them. And um, she passed away. And then when they came in, they found all the medical marijuana. They arrested him. 
And so... What? Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of people... And I think I have that story 100% accurate, but I'm... Wow. Yeah, so um, I think there's a lot of different stories there uh, of people where it was like a first-time offense and stuff like that, um, a drug offense, uh, a lot of other stuff that they're just really happy to have that right again. Yeah, they, that's a, a, I haven't been back to Florida uh, maybe in like four or five years. Mm-hmm. That's something I, I found interesting. Like I see everywhere now um, medical marijuana here, uh, CBD, and even something that's like not in a lot of other places, but I think the proper way to say it is Kratom. Some people say Kratom. Yeah, but, but I see that sure everywhere what, here. I'm really not sure what Kratom is. Like my husband and I always pass those shops and we're like, what? Is it's, that, it, it's it, everywhere. It's from Thailand. I actually had it in... Is it a drug? Technically, yeah. Okay. Um, and in fact, I, I think if you're going to classify it, it actually like is within the family of opiates. Oh, um, wow. Which is weird that um, it, it's... I think in low doses is okay. In, 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 in quite large doses is um, like some of those pretty effective painkillers. Um, wow, Florida. But yeah it, it, yeah. It, yeah, it was interesting. It's interesting to see that here. Yeah, I mean, and there's some states that are definitely further down the line in terms of legislation. So it'll be interesting to see where Florida goes in terms of legalization and things like that. It's, it's, it's a weird state too, going back to elections in that um, obviously Bush Gore was really strange here. Um, and then even recently with the midterm elections, right, there were a couple that were super close and had to go to recounts here. Yeah. And that was really interesting to, to be a part of. And definitely as a journalist covering an election, uh, it's sorry, I need to make sure my dog's not eating. What are you eating? He's a cute pup. Well, thank you. His name is Mazel. Mazel. For all your listeners. Yeah. We're joined by, um. Mazel, what, what type of pup is Mazel? He's a Cocker Spaniel Poodle mix. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, to go back to your question, um, I'm really looking forward to covering the presidential election down here. I think it'll be a great mm. time to be a part of uh, political journalism coverage. I would think just uh, sort of rationalizing that this would be Trump country. Is that... You Without know, getting too political, but just... It uh, depends on where you go. And, um, you know, one county will be blue and the next county will be red. Uh, that's yeah. what makes it really interesting. I think if you look at a lot more coastal communities uh, tend to go blue and kind of more central Florida tends to go red. But I feel like that's a, a generalization. You know, I think uh, the map definitely looked different from the midterm to the last election. Okay. When I was away, there was globally like a ton of um, um, weather-related ecological and environmental catastrophes. I don't, I can't remember the name, I guess, of the hurricane, but I know the panhandle here got slammed. Hurricane Michael. Michael. Did you you cover any of that? I did. So one of the last bigger projects at the paper I worked on was called The Shell Game about aquaculture and oysters in the panhandle. And so we went back up to the panhandle after the hurricane to see what happened to T.J. Ward and his family and uh, what happened to their historical family's oyster house that had been around for decades and decades and decades. And it was really badly damaged, but... The silver lining of the story was he had been farming oysters 
and his oysters survived. Whoa. And so that was really great to see. And I put my waders on and got in the water as he's taking out the oysters. And yeah, so that was, um, that was a great, one of my great last projects to work on at the paper. And I got to work on <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's the mailman. Yeah, it's okay. Sorry. I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave it in there. People okay. will listen to him bark. Okay. Are you done now? Did you protect the house? So, yeah, and, and that's a situation where, like, I, I really got to know TJ and his family and really spent a lot of time with them, and they had me over for uh, dinner, and, you know, I think you definitely have to open up your metaphorical home to let people open up theirs to you. Yeah, I, I would imagine, too, just, like, with um, the increasing frequency of these type of events and, like, rising sea levels and things like that, that Florida is sort of prime location for, unfortunately, a lot of that negative stuff, like, you know, yeah, yeah. but um, with the Keys, Miami, I think, is, like, pretty much at sea level, um, Florida is sort of prime location for some of that, you know, negative stuff for the future, I would think. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been really interesting. Um, they sent me to the Keys last year after Irma. Oh, really? I've never seen anything like that before. And you really have to, like you said earlier, really distance yourself, um, emotionally because it can be really overwhelming. And just the devastation was terrible. And you really owe it to those people to make sure that you get the photos out there so people know what's going on and how it's impacted a community. Um, yeah. So it's... Uh, and then for Irma here, I went to one shelter to cover what it was like to be in a shelter. And then my husband and my mom and my dog went to another shelter. Uh, and that was difficult, too, to be separated. Um, we didn't know if our house was going to survive. We didn't Whoa. know. Uh, but... I think it it helped me calm down to get through the storm to like give me a sense of purpose to know that I could get through it. And was the shelter experience like just, uh, like adequate? It, yeah, I mean it was definitely difficult, but we followed a family that had four children, and uh, what was it like to keep your family calm and get through the storm? And they were right by a window, and it was uh, John Hopkins Middle School, so oh, hurricane safe and everything like that, but. Definitely a challenging night. Yeah. Um, so, but being a Florida photographer, hurricane coverage just has to be part of your job. Yeah. Is there anything sort of like backlogged in your mind? Like, here's some certain or certain stories or articles or something that I'd love to cover in the future. Oh my god, everything. Oh. I just, um, I really want to do a story, hopefully next year, about boiled peanuts and boiled peanut culture in Florida, like how you always see those guys on the road. I know nothing about this. So, yeah, like during football season, you have a bunch of guys that do little markets on huh. the roadsides in central and northern Florida. Like college football season or like the NFL? Uh, college football. So like kind of like throughout the fall. But okay. um, I always know to sit during college football season and they make boiled peanuts and it's a very Florida thing. And I just kind of wanted to do a story on boiled peanut culture. Um, I never even knew that. But yeah, I, I really want to do more stories just kind of about Americana and uh. Uh, more stories about women's health. Um, hopefully to do a couple stories about uh, Jewish identity. And um, yeah, so that's, I'm just, it's an interesting transition right now to go from being a newspaper photographer to a freelancer and just uh, trying to figure out those next steps. So in terms of storytelling and 
what stories you want to tell, what stories have you done, mm. what stories you want to continue to do. So, We were talking earlier about um, Indonesia and Bali and um, Lemongan you went to. Uh, would you... Uh, would you consider doing any sort of like international type of stuff? Oh yeah. I would, I would love to do international work for oh. sure. I think growing up, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be a photojournalist and travel internationally. And it's funny, you know, every five years, what you thought the last five years or what you thought those five years would look like looking back mm. and or looking forward. Um, so, and I have done some work internationally in Japan. Oh, whoa. What'd you do there? Yeah. Um, one of my best friends and I, uh, she got a grant and brought me along and we worked on a few different stories. One was about Florida grapefruit in Japan. One was about really? American baseball in Japan. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, um, I definitely would love to do more international work for sure. I'd love to go back to Bali. Yeah. I saw you had some baseball stuff too. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously the Rays, but... I think he has some stuff from Kansas City or something. Oh, my husband is a huge Kansas City sports fan. Really? He's, he's, I guess he's, he's from KC, so uh, I took him to opening day last year. Oh, cool. At, uh, the Royals, they had a terrible season. so I don't Yes, know if, they did. I didn't know if that was because we went to opening day. I hope it's a better season uh, this year. So I'm actually confused because um, I know that like the Rays are sort of struggling to get good attendance. And I think that they just closed off like a thousand or something seats. Um, but going up and down, like, uh, I guess it's like Central Ave maybe here. Like there's breweries and like there was a, like an Asian street food place. that went hawkers and there's like coffee shops and tattoo shops and music and record shops and bookstores. There's like all this cool stuff when stadiums are normally just surrounded sort of by sports bars. And I'm wondering like, why are people not showing up? Because this is a really cool area. Well, I think Florida is a really transient community. Oh, so when the Yankees come to play, it's completely full. And not even just snowbirds, oh. but like to be a native Floridian is a very rare thing. Oh, and wow. That's a good so, point. Yeah. And so I think for a lot of people, they come from somewhere else and they already have a sports team. Mm. So like we're raised fans-ish because we live here, but... We really love the Royals, and if I, you know, I'm from Minnesota, so I like the Twins, uh-huh. I like the Cubs. So to me, it's a really, it's hard because it's a transient community. So when the Red Sox are in town, traffic is a terrible, when the Yankees are mm. in town. So I think it's when, it, it's just hard people go to cheer for the for their team, you know, and I don't, yeah. not a lot of people identify with like the Bucks. Right. I, I, I will say that everyone is a huge Lightning fan. Yeah, like I have no. I've seen the Go, go Bolt stuff. Crazy for the lightning, oh. like that. I would say is our most popular. Team. They're also really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay, that is something I, think, I never realized. And I think that the Raisin Bucks have been getting more popular, but I think that they both struggle with filling seats. So. Uh, um, I hope this is okay to ask, but like, is for you know. Um, young people into like young entrepreneurs or artists or or photographers like is this uh, an easy place to live like St. Pete specifically is this an easy place to like live and maybe like raise a family and yeah I I feel really lucky um we bought a house a couple years ago when the market was crazy but not as crazy it is right now Mm. um but the cost of living is definitely um manageable here and um my husband and I have been really good about saving up for the last couple of years in case 
I left the paper or in case uh. there was layoffs. So we were kind of prepared for this. So I was able to buy a camera. I think in any career transition, you have to think about being able to save away for months and months and months. Because what if there isn't any work? And if you're stressing out about where the money is, then you're not going to be able to really focus on and be your best at getting a job. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a great place to live. We wouldn't live anywhere else. When a, when a paper sends you on assignment, let's say you have to go down to Miami, do they cover the, the cost of getting there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. and mileage and expenses. And I was oh. in Port St. Port St. Lucie um, on Monday for the Chronicle of Higher Education. They cover mileage and meals on all sorts of that stuff, yeah. Not to sort of... Um, keep harping at the same point, but for people listening who are either career transitioners or young people looking to start out in, in really whatever sort of skill as someone who's been successful at their skill. Uh, well, thank you. Well, well, I mean, Hey, it's like, it's just the truth. I'll just, huh? I'll just listen to this podcast now. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> like look in the mirror. Yeah. And like, yeah. I can do it. I'm successful. <laughs> but, but really like, yeah. um, thank you. Like do you have any sort of like advice or message for people who are, who are looking to follow a similar path? I think just be hungry. Um, I, I think you have to want to learn and want to challenge yourself and want to grow and take criticism and taking down a few pegs and, um, you know, be able to learn from that and grow. And I think that applies to any career really. Um, I think with photography, there are so many ways to be a photographer now, and I think cell phones have really helped with that and teaching people how to take good photographs. And I think, you know, if you want to be a photojournalist, just finding a good program at school and, and finding that photo community or finding photo workshops or even just reaching out to your local paper and, and seeing if you can shadow someone or have them look at your work or, you know, finding local events in your town to start photographing and, and tell a story and and figure out how to tell visual stories. I think those are all good ways to start out in photography. But mm. I think it's way more accessible now than it used to be. Yeah, something I've realized too through doing this is that like there are stories everywhere. I mean, I was mentioning just like getting a haircut before, but you, you've got this photo of you went to... Um, uh, I don't know if it was a home for centenarians, but like a centenarian birthday party. <laughs> and there's this there's this woman who obviously is like a hundred plus, right? If she's a centenarian, and I mean, she might have sunglasses on or something, or or you know, like um, for people who are like uh, have poor vision, and she's just like digging into some cake. And I don't know, just the composition of that photo like made me so happy. I'm looking at that. I'm like, I'm I'm, I'm looking at this simple thing of probably a pretty normal woman. And there's a story here. I, I loved shooting that event. It was near Sun City Center, which is a huge uh, senior area about 30 minutes south of Tampa. And they do like golf cart parking and they have golf cart parades. And um, I just shot another portrait, that, portrait down there recently. And I was like, oh, man, I got to get back here soon. Um, but and actually uh, another photographer who I really admire, uh, Kendrick Brinkson, has a great story about Sun City Center in Arizona. Mm. Uh, similar community. Um, but yeah, it was a great event to shoot. And I always try and find the quiet moments too. I definitely think there was a time where I knew what the paper would want for photos and like what would work for run running photos in the paper. And then I just wanted to push myself too and make 
an in-between moment photo or a quiet moment or show my sense of humor in a photo. And I love that photo. I think that's going to be a hard one to take out of my portfolio because I, I, I do like to show my sense of humor in my yeah. work when I can. So thanks. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Um, let's, let's plug your stuff. So how okay. can people... Um, I'm on Instagram at Eve underscore Edelheit. I'm on Twitter the same way. And my website's eveedelheit.com. I feel very fortunate. I get to shoot for a lot of uh, national publications. So my work kind of pops up here and there, but yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll, um, as always, we'll link to that stuff. So people, all they have to do is go to the show notes, click a link and they will access it. Cool. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Thank you, Eve. Um, I know you're busy, so appreciate the time. All right. Yeah. Cheers. Okay. That is a wrap, folks, on episode number 97 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you to Eve for being my guest on this episode. Thank you to you, Voyagers, as always, for listening. I love to hear from you. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can send me a DM on any of the social media accounts or you can email me at thevoyagesoftimvetter at gmail.com. Maybe you have some recommendations for California, or maybe you want to meet up and share your stories with me and have a beer or whatever. I love meeting new people and expanding my my network. And uh, yeah, so reach out to me at the email or by DMing me. As always, Voyagers, thanks for listening, and please take care of each other. Until next time.